Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars they weren't in their prime Made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the B-Side for the Film Stage. I'm Dan Mecca here with Connor O'Donnell, and today we're talking with Richard Dreyfus, one of the stars of the new film Sweetwater, um, which is a sports film about uh, Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton, who is one of the first African-American uh, players, athletes to play in the National Basketball Association in I believe it's 1950. I'll double check that, but right around then. And the film Sweetwater is about that. Um, and Everett Osborne plays the titular Sweetwater. And our distinguished guest, Richard Dreyfus, plays um, Maurice Podoloff, who was the president of the league at the time. So, yeah, with with that being the reason for the season, we were lucky enough to get uh, Mr. Dreyfus with us for a solid 40 minutes and yeah. talk about Sweetwater along with a few other B-sides, which he was very open to talking about. The three that we kind of focused on that we did talk about a couple others uh, were Let It Ride from 89, Always from 89, and then the Sidney Lumet picture Night Falls on Manhattan from 97. Um, all movies I think we 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 liked, right, yeah, Connor? I, I think that I, was part one, of the reasoning. One thing I and one thing I I had seen always. I had not seen Night Falls on Manhattan before before prepping for this, uh, and I had not seen Let It Ride. So I, you know, this is I think uh, outside of having obviously a a legendary guest. Uh, I think it's a, a notable B side because I think this is the rare one where I would basically recommend every one of our B sides, which doesn't. Uh, which doesn't always happen. So that was nice. That was nice too. I, I enjoyed a bunch of these. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say a, a couple others that come up without kind of giving away the conversation. Cause it's definitely worth listening to uh, moon over Parador, um, which is also the late eighties, which is Alan Rudolph, right? I'm going to double check myself while I say that, but I believe moon over Parador, which let me check as I look it up. It is directed by the one and only Paul Mazursky. I apologize. Mm. So that's now that's interesting because Mazursky directed Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which right, right. is um, definitely not a B side. Um, yeah, so this that, would almost be the B side to Down and Out in Beverly Hills, kind of exactly. Like only yeah, two yeah. years later, yeah. Um, and, and 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 if you don't know, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which honestly I. I is that's a movie I, I need to rewatch because I don't really remember it. I know of it, Nick Nolte, Bette Midler, Richard Dreyfus, obviously. Uh big hit. Um, but anyway, Mazursky, yeah, directed that Moon Over Parador come Moon Over Parador comes up. We we mentioned the apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, which was kind of one of hit of Dreyfus's star making performances early on, um, along with obviously American Graffiti. And had you seen The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz I had before not. this? I had, no, nor I had, had I. Not. It's hard to track down. I mean, it is. you can find it on YouTube. Like I found a rip of it, basically, like kind of a low quality, uh, maybe almost like VHS quality rip of it on YouTube. Um, 
And I quite liked that movie. I mentioned to you while we watched it, Dan, that like it would be a great like double bill with licorice pizza or something yes. like that. Like it's he's a, he's basically a young a, a young man in Montreal uh, in the 50s. I think. Um, yeah, I, I'll double check. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the 50s. Um, it's it's um, I kept thinking of uh, and this is I, I mean, look, I could be, um, you know, I could be showing my ass here a little bit, though. I don't think I am. I kept thinking of Philip Roth books like because yeah, it's definitely sure. got that kind of, you know, buildings Roman, but like a little bit maybe nastier than your usual thing like that. You know, your yeah, usual coming of age yeah, story. It's, it's, it's like he's, he's, you know, he's Jewish. Yeah, it's, you it's know, a coming it's, of age story. He kind of is it's a, he is constantly reconciling with like Jewish identity in terms of like how, you know, anti-Semitic people perceive Jewish people in terms of like their relationship to like bargaining and money and, and that kind of stuff. And so that but at the same time, Duddy Kravitz is this person who is constantly trying to kind of ring a buck out of like anything. And he's got all these little hustles and he puts hustle upon hustle to then fold them into another hustle to yeah. kind of all these like plates are spinning, you know, so it's it's a it's like a fascinating nuanced little movie that is he, also yeah, I, he's, I found very he's great yeah it's yeah, a great he's, performance he's great and we kind of reference and we will get to the interview but we kind of reference how that performance kind of is it, it almost it's like a blueprint a little bit it almost yeah it yeah. almost foreshadows the rest of his career in, yeah. in some respects and yeah just just to put a button on it it's a 19 it's based on a 1959 novel written by um, Mordecai Reichler so yeah, I think safe to say late 50s, early 60s is kind of where it's set. Um, and then, but yeah, it came out in 74. Kind of not on like, in a funny way, not on like American Graffiti, which obviously came out in 73, but is set like yeah. 13 years before, right? Not, you know, there, there's that element of nostalgia. And then obviously in 75, he's in Jaws. And then it's kind of like- Off to the races. Off to the yeah. races a little bit. Um other highlights we don't talk about, but just if if you're going to listen to this episode, stuff to know. Obviously, he was in Whose Life Is It Anyway, yeah. which was kind of a big moment for I him watched at the that, time. I had not seen that either. I what watched that, of that for the first time. I liked it okay overall as the movie. I mean, it definitely seems like, you know, for, for him, not just him, but for a lot of people involved. It, I mean, it feels like an actor movie in terms of like... Yeah, it's very much what like a, Christine a, Lottie's a, doing, and right. and I, I, it is nice. It's a showcase for sure. Yeah, I mean, he plays a quadriplegic, so forgive the parlance, but it is kind of nice to see him go toe to toe with John Cassavetes, who plays his sort of attending physician. Right. Um. So that's yeah. It's I. I would say it's definitely worth a look. Um. And again, I think it's right in that mold of like Dreyfus characters that are. A little bit acidic, but also vulnerable and also sympathetic. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I had said to you kind of off mic, Dan, that like watching a bunch of these movies back to back, obviously he's a legendary actor, but it's like his specific place to me is almost like he's like the greatest little stinker in Hollywood history. Like he just has this kind of like smarmy is the wrong word, but this this almost this element where a lot of characters he plays can't seem to help themselves sometimes, you know, and, uh, right. He's got a lot of lovable cat in him. Yes. I mean, I think yeah. another movie that comes out 
that's a very good movie is uh, uh, Tin Men, the Barry Levinson picture. Yes, that, yeah, that comes up um, as well. Um, which also came out in the late '80s. It's funny. We really we, there's a lot of late '80s <laughs> Dreyfus packed, talk in this packed, in this interview. Packed right um, in there. And just to for quick context for at least the main B sides. Uh, so always, which we cover, like Dan said, 1989, one of Steven Spielberg's few B sides, I would argue. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it is a remake of a 1943 movie called A Guy Named Joe, which is set during World War II. That actually comes up, and and Dreyfus, you'll hear him talk about that kind of at length. Um, in it, uh, Dreyfus plays Pete Sandich, who is like an aerial firefighter. He's a pilot and he is in a long term relationship with his girlfriend, Holly Hunter. And it's kind of this like she wants to settle down. He's kind of very much attached to this life that sort of borders on a kind of like constant daredevilry, you know, like a, just really living on the edge for that kind of extra bit of juice, as it were. And um it's not too much of a spoiler because it's the plot of the movie but he right after he he has a very close call at the beginning of the movie and she kind of convinces him to take a post at like a an academy uh teaching aerial firefighters instead right and right before you know they go there's a giant forest fire that breaks out and he decides to go and take care of it kind of almost as like a one last thing or whatever and he dies right and so it's kind of got this matter of life and death quality to it where he is then sort of from the afterlife watching her kind of work through things both in grieving and in sort of formulating a potential romance with a sort of younger sweet you know pilot who frankly could not be more different than richard dreyfus in terms of personality like dan said it's kind of it's that it's one of those kind of lovable cad situations and um and it's a really i don't know it's a really sweet movie i think it's pretty lovely uh we dan you and i attended a screening at the roxy cinema that was hosted by the film stage a few months ago and that that was the first time i think i had seen it all the way through and that was really lovely um Obviously, one of the big things about the movie is it's Audrey Hepburn's last role. She plays this, you know, God type slash angel figure. Who, yeah, I mean, you know, he in the interview, Richard Dreyfus calls her God. I think it's safe. I mean, she's yeah, basically it's a, it's some a, version of some God, version you know? of that, and she's sort of, you know, coaching him through the experience, basically. And their exchanges are some of the best parts of the movie. Sure, Hepburn obviously always firing on all cylinders, and so. You'll hear Richard talk a little bit about that as well. In the same year uh, is Let It Ride, which is a Joe Pitka movie. You would know Joe Pitka from uh, the film. I'm looking at my notes here. Space Jam. Space Jam. Which I don't want to spoil, <laughs> um, but it comes up it, it in does, such it, a beautiful it way does in the interview. Come up. It's great. Um, but uh, just plot. He made a... <laughs> animated sports movie i think and i'm like i'm just like my tongue is bleeding because i'm biting it so hard yes he made yes uh animated sports sports movie movie. i mean Uh, one would argue one of the only animated one would argue the sweet water of animated sports movies because michael jordan is the first human to uh to to play to play with looney tunes yeah so oh my god um 
Anyway, <laughs> Let It Ride uh, is directed by Joe Pitka. It's based on a book called uh, Good Vibes by Jay Cronley. And it, it was one of the cooler things about it, it reunites Dreyfus with Terry Gar. He talks about that a little bit. Basically, they play a married couple who's separated. Everything's kind of on the rocks. And you find them sort of at a Chinese restaurant in the beginning of the movie where they're sort of, you know, very loosely, casually renewing their vows over dinner and drinks, you know, talking about all the things they're you know, going to give up as they as they try to give their marriage another shot. One of the things he mentions is gambling. And we quickly realize, obviously, that's very hard for him because he is a gambling addict. So he is good buddies with a cabbie who's played by David Johansson, who also uh, for astute viewers plays the cabbie in Scrooged. Uh, which is and, which and, I, he, and isn't he? He's the New York Dolls. Oh, right? yes. Duh, yeah, of course. Yes. Duh. Yeah. Yes, that I believe that is the more he's obvious the... thing. I was just making like the yeah. inside like connection of like, you know, oh, it's funny. just a cabbie. He's got and I don't want to, I feel like we keep spoiling the interview. I, I won't even say anything. It's yeah. David Johansson, very good in let it ride. We'll say. Yeah. Um, he, he's very good. He plays his Dreyfus's cabbie friend who just as a gag records his passengers without their knowledge uh, on a tape deck and ha he goes to play something back for Dreyfus uh, and in the process winds up replaying a conversation that two guys who are fixing a horse race had in the back of his car. And so Dreyfus hears that and he's like, oh, like play that part. Right. And, and it's this it's about this horse named Charity that's like a long shot, but a but according to this tape, a sure thing because they're fixing the race. So Dreyfus decides, you know. It's it's not really gambling, right? Like I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna like take the shot on it because I know I you know I have an inside track and all that. So he goes to the track the next day with David Johansson, and he even gives David Johansson fifty bucks to be like place your own bet, like go for it, like place a bet on this horse. And like David Johansson doesn't join him in the bet, he does it himself. And what happens? The horse wins. So then the rest of the movie is him at the track, kind of you know, working his way through, you know, letting the bet ride as it were, and keeps doubling his money, you know, or compounding his money, um, as it goes. And he, th the whole thing is kind of this story of him moving through, you know, how maybe a gambling addict would see a lucky streak like this, you know, there's like an element of magical realism to it kind of, um, but that feels obviously more like a stylistic flourish to kind of get you in the mindset of how Dreyfus is feeling. And it he's now he's also surrounded by this recurring cast of characters like David Johansson, uh, Jennifer Tilly pops up. She's really great uh, as well as you get like a quick uh, Cynthia Nixon for your money, which is kind of funny. Um, so doing, it's doing it's, good work. It's just a, I would recommend this movie. Uh, if you are a fan of something like After Hours, I would say, um, or, you know, it's to me almost like the quick elevator pitch would be kind of like an uncut gems meets After Hours type thing. If you want that sort of kooky, off kilter, but very stressful vibe. Um, yeah, the tone, the tone's a bit different. And we get into that with with Richard in, in the interview. Um, but definitely a movie that I enjoyed. And it's interesting to talk with him about it without kind of giving too much away. 
And then kind of last but not least, Night Falls on Manhattan, a movie I really like a lot, directed by Sidney yeah, Lumet. great movie. Um, him and Andy, uh, Dreyfus is in it, Andy Garcia is the lead. Dreyfus is kind of like, kind of positioned as the maybe villain, progressive lawyer based on, and we didn't get to talk uh, to, to uh, Richard Dreyfus about this, but uh, I believe his character is... Not so loosely based on William Kunstler, who was a pretty famous, you know, quote unquote, radical lawyer um, for many years. And I mentioned the Larry Davis case, um, which you can look up from the 80s in New York, is kind of what the movie is based on. Um, And I won't give, honestly, too much of the plot away. It's an interesting movie. Garcia is basically a young ADA who... Um, becomes personally embroiled in this um, th- this attempt to arrest like the city's biggest drug dealer that goes horribly wrong. And yeah. cops die, and cops get hurt, and one of the cops that gets hurt is Andy Garcia's father, played by Ian Holm. And the guy who defends the drug dealer is Richard Dreyfuss. But that's just the beginning, right? Then yeah. there's corruption that kind of reveals uh, Dre- itself. Dreyfus almost has them. I mean, he, I think Ian Holm does like amazing work in this movie. Um, and I think, but I do think Dreyfus does have kind of the most interest, interesting needle to thread in the movie. Yeah, we 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 end up talking about other very interesting things with him, um, which certainly we want to. We, we'll get to that in a second. But I do wish we could have talked to him more about his performance specifically, just because it is, I think. I almost, what's funny, I was thinking about this watching Night Falls on Manhattan again uh, a couple nights ago. If you ever wanted to like try to convey to a non New Yorker what the Giuliani 90s were like, <laughs> you could show them, you know, for, for, for all of the sins and, and, and the not sins, right? For all of the good intentions and the, you know, the ultimately bad results in a lot of cases, you really could show them Night Falls in Manhattan. Like yeah, I think that sure. movie really taps into kind yeah. of that neoliberal, like, you know, and that was very 90s, right? Where it was like very like crackdown on this, you know, um, like broken windows policy, what have you. And that whole movie really, I think, kind of illustrates it really well to the point where I was watching it. I just was like, oh, man. This is really good. And I, and I, you know, and it's interesting how he Dreyfus feels about it. And, and I look forward for you to hear it. But, but, um, definitely a movie I, I, I still really liked watching. And, and I, and I, and I, I can't recommend it high enough. Yeah. I mean, his, I obviously wasn't going to say this to him, but like, I, you know, him in Close Encounters is maybe like my, one of my top three performances by an actor in a movie. Like, like just mm-hmm. what he kind of just, goes through and and the and the whole spectrum of human emotion that he covers in that movie and this i think is like a it's a smaller performance but it's just as fascinating to me because his ability to you know manipulate what you think you know about him maybe um to to the advantage of the narrative and the advantage of you know your sympathies and all that stuff uh 
is one of the strongest assets of the movie, I think. So yeah, definitely, definitely. And and, worth and a even watch. and 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 we'll and we can kind of wrap after this. I'll just simply say Garcia is a, a fascinating actor, in my opinion, and the two of them are, in my in my also in my opinion, so diametrically different in every single decision they make just as actors yeah absolutely it's like even them in sharing a scene it's like oh it's like oil talking to water this is weird (laughs) which is sort of i guess helps the scene in a way i kind of think it works i i I wish we could have asked him more we get off on different tangents because he's very open and honest and i think it's a great conversation but if we had had like another hour i would almost be like yeah like you know it seemed like you guys had different acting styles how does that work as an actor yeah I think it helps the picture, but certainly, you, you know, there's there's the movie, and then there's on set, and yeah. there's the actor trying to do their job, and it's it's a curious thing, and we talk about some of it, not necessarily about Garcia, but just in general. But um, certainly an interesting guy. What an honor to have him on. Absolutely. Kind of a surprise, you know. Really, kind of uh, lo- lovely little quick turnaround here. Um, so happy to be able to talk with him. And, uh, and yeah, Connor, yeah, I'll let you throw, throw to it, but, but hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, no, it was, it was great to talk to him. Um, and without further ado, here is our conversation with the legendary Richard Dreyfus. We have an esteemed guest who has a new movie out. Uh, the movie's called Sweetwater. The guest is the the living legend, Richard Dreyfus, here to talk about Sweetwater and a few other B-sides throughout his storied career. Uh, Richard, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm uh, I'm I'm getting caught up on my storied career. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll start reading off some stuff and was no. Um, so we we want to uh, we thank you so much for joining us and we'll start of course with so the movie that's out now as we, as we're talking and as you're listening is Sweetwater, which, um, and I have to say as a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big NBA fan. And I have to admit, I knew less of this story than I thought I did. And, and I'm sure that's a common, I would hope for my sake, that's a, well, I guess it would make me feel better if that's a common parlance, (laughs) but it's almost sad that it's not a more of a, a, a a well-known story. So I guess we can talk more about it, but I guess, Richard, question to you, kind of what drew you to Sweetwater? Uh, Martin Gigi wrote a script about something that I knew nothing about. Okay. Uh, you know, one is always aware of Jackie Robinson and like what's happening in baseball, but not, this was a new one for me. And um, so it was fascinating to see uh, the racism that was throughout the the culture, and how well it was handled by the people involved. Right. Yeah, and I think just for context, right. So Sweetwater refers to Nat Sweetwater Clifton, right, who was one of a, a basically a trio of of African American players who kind of were their were the Jackie Robinsons, if you will, of basketball, right. And and he signed with the New York Knicks. Um, which that was uh, Ned Irish uh, was running the Knicks then, played by Kerry Elwes, and then um, and then the coach there was Joe Lapchick, both kind of NBA legends in their own right, and Lapchick's played by Jeremy Piven, and then you play Maurice Podoloff, who's the the league president, and I think what's interesting, and we can almost use this as like 
perhaps a segue into the kind of your your career writ large. But what's interesting about Maurice to me is he's a complex character, right? It doesn't feel quite it's not a one to one with like a branch Ricky where he right. wanted he wanted integration, but you have these interesting scenes where you're also acknowledging you know, perhaps the dangers, the optics, kind of trying to manage that. That to me was an interesting, maybe maybe unexpected uh, element to the character. Yeah, he was. Uh, he had to represent all of the opinions of all of the owners. Right. So uh, he he gave it a fair shot. He let them know where he was. Yeah. But he wasn't going to browbeat anybody. Mm, and right. uh, I thought it was. I thought in, in that way, in that regard, um, it was a fascinating story. You know, it was also, and I don't know whether it's clear or not, but the fact that he was also trying to establish the primacy of that office so right, that he right. had the right and the power to make decisions for that league, which until then had been just yes sir sir yes sir so in that way he had to he had to push everyone around a little bit yeah they're kind of writing the rules in real time a little bit which i think if you know at the nba most people might think it's more like baseball but actually it's it is a newer league right and i think you're in the in the movie you you see that in in the boardroom scenes where they're kind of having votes on things that they probably should have voted for three years ago, but maybe no one brought it up or something, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and Podoloff has to kind of run it as best he can. So it's interesting. And I think, and I think kind of using it as a segue, one thing me and Connor were talking about as we were kind of going through. So just for context, right. From a B side point of view, obviously you've had, you've made so many incredible pictures, Th three that jumped out at us just to kind of give you a, a table setting of like where we're living in, in like what we say, quote unquote, B-sides is we were really intrigued by always, obviously the Spielberg picture, um, Let It Ride, which is, I think, the same year, as a matter of fact. And then a few years later, the Sidney Lumet movie, Night Falls on Manhattan. All really interesting movies, very good movies, um, you know, and... I think what we, what me and Connor were talking about is you, as a leading man throughout your career, you've had this ability to almost all, almost all of your characters are kind of sneakily complicated, and there's a lot going on, you know, even from like Duddy Kravitz onwards, right? So it's like, I suppose just as a segue into some of these B sides, um, is that just what's attracted you over the years? That like that complexity, or 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 I suppose what's the What's the theme you think in that? Well, uh, there is no such thing as a simple hero or a simple villain. Sure. In, uh, if you know anything about the career of Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart really is a metaphor for the entire film business. Hmm. Because until the war, he was America. He was an innocent... Um, and hard to to uh, anger, and he was in. He was always being intimidated by power, and 
But then by the before the end of the film, he stands up and sticks his chin out and says, eat it. And he's a, an American hero. Then he went to the war. The Jimmy Stewart that we love went to the war and he was very much a participant in the air war that was being fought in Germany, over Germany. And when he came back from that war, he was a different person, completely different person, and he uh, could never have a simple villain or a simple hero. And he played neurotics, or he played guilty, and because he had killed a lot of innocent people. Uh, you know, dropping bombs on them is not the way to spend the impressionable years. Right. And so, um, but he really is the basis for film noir, which came after the war. And in that way, you knew that these uh, obstacles, these things that were going to happen in professional sports, they were going to happen, and which meant that they were going to argue and 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 hit one another, and they were going to yeah. And they had to do that. They had to go through that. I once read a a great biography of Jackie Robinson, and it starts the book starts with him the first time he got up and yelled back at the umpire and the other player he he went totally angry crazy right and and which is what he had been known for before he ever got into the leagues right. he had a terrible temper right and him controlling that was what was such a victory so to see him start like every other player yelling and screaming mm -hmm. and then then you went back and heard the story you your admiration for robinson just goes way up and that's why in this film the times that he is instructed by his coaches right do not give in do not lose your temper makes a lot more sense yeah the the, the stewart uh uh, references is really interesting because, of course, yeah, after the war, he really became a different, yeah, a different actor and a different, almost represented uh, a different, right, like you said, a different America. And then, yeah, referencing Sweetwater in terms of with Robinson, like you have these scenes in the film where, you know, uh, Sweetwater played for the Globetrotters, and there's a lot of razzle dazzle, obviously, even back then that happened on that team. He almost had to. Sadly, had to mute that a little bit, at least at the beginning, because of what you're talking about, because of this kind of this racial bias, this prejudice that, you know, they would, you know, they, they, in the movie, there's a scene they call like four travels in a row, right? All these things where you have to try to navigate around that. Not not unlike what, what Robinson had, had to do. Can I ask, so so it's interesting you mentioned um, Jimmy Stewart, you know, so the that the movie always with with Steven Spielberg and obviously you had worked with him on Jaws and and then now and then in, in eighty nine on on always, that that's almost that's a Stuart like character, wouldn't you say? Like you're you're, 
it's it's a lyrical movie obviously there's it's a romance at its at its core what from that film i mean what are your i suppose memories of making that film and and uh, in a way it might have been considered a departure for you in 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 the romantic lead way at the time i mean what what are any highlights from that 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 come to mind i suppose um the the main thing to to know about always is that it's a remake of a guy named joe right yeah spencer tracy right and that's both stephen and i were kind of in love with tracy at that time Mm -hmm. and uh, so we we based always on that and i always felt um that it was a mistake to make them firefighters I thought that it, it would have been better to put it in the period of the original film and have them fight the Nazis ah. because Nazis you were allowed to hate, and if you didn't, and if you hated a fire, so what? Right, right. It had no. It has no villainy. It's it's right. the enemy, but it's it's easy to. It's not a personality that you're against, and you really have to have that. So I was sorry that he had made that decision, but it was my chance to play Spencer Tracy. (laughs) That was something I always looked forward to. It does frame it in an interesting way, right? Because if, to your point, if in the context, if you are a, you know, pilot who's leaving his wife behind to go fight Nazis, that's one thing, and that's a heroic thing, versus if you're kind of cutting it close and putting out forest fires, there's an element of like a, maybe a daredevil mentality that I think comes across in that movie. Um, and I think what's fascinating about that performance to me is, and and Dan mentioned it before, I think this is something you do often, is like, you're a ability to constantly hold two things that are true at the exact same time uh, without really ever dropping the ball. And in that movie, it's just it's wonderful to watch because you are this kind of, you know, a little bit of a hot shot and, 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 and again, a little bit of that kind of like daredevil. And then when you actually have to face or see the consequences of what's going on as you watch Holly Hunter fall in love with another man and slowly come to terms with that, there's this there's this interesting thing as an audience member where you're watching it thinking like, you didn't have to put yourself in this position, but you did. And sure, at the same time, sure. and at the same time, you do feel that the sympathy for your character of what what that must feel like and kind of making those two ends meet. Um and was that all in was that all in Tracy Richard like did you see all that in the Tracy performance as well or well it 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 took it took part of that obligation and made it very easy to mm. play because we all shared a hatred of the Nazis right and no one had to persuade us to it and no one had to illustrate it there's not a Nazi in the film <laughs> yeah but right Every time they went up, they were fighting the Nazis. Sure. And some of them didn't come back each time. So uh, I thought that that was a better way to do it. Sure. Uh, but um, it's it's humanizing um, something that can't be 
made human. I mean, uh, the Nazis were almost the the character that was had to be played by a demigod, sure, a god of evil, sure, and uh, and that didn't happen with us until I met Audrey Hepburn, and Audrey Hepburn is a demigod goddess. <laughs> she's right. not, yeah, she's not real. And when she opened her mouth, I just turned into a puddle. <laughs> and I was, for the first and only time in my career, I was working with someone who could not be defined as any other actor I'd ever worked with. Because I was, you know, Audrey Hepburn only made 20 films in mm. her whole life. Seriously, yeah, true. And that always was one of her, if not her, it was one of her last films, I think. It was her last film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she was, who else could play God? Yeah, right. Sure. Who else could do that? <laughs> and so that was a very, very smart choice on Steve. Yeah, those, it's so funny you mentioned, of course, th those scenes are striking, you know, and, and, and the, the chemistry you have with her in that it's a, it's almost representative of what Connor's saying. There's a, a a a push and a pull of the scenes, right? That I think you get a little bit of matter of life and death in that. Obviously, that's that you know the the Powell Pressburger movie. There's a little bit of that um, that, that I think is quite lovely in the film. Always, which I think, look, always just you know for the for the larger context, a movie that is I think quite beloved now. And you know we did a like we did a screening of it um, a few a few months ago in New York actually th you know partly through our, our website and through the Roxy Cinema and it was well attended and there were cheers and like kind of a lot of audience engagement so I think it's been nice to see you know th the movie continue to you know grow and you know it, you know did well enough when it came out but I think it was in between like huge Steven Spielberg movies right so I think that's always a funny like you know his his bar is so high in that <laughs> in, in, so, in a commercial way made, so he chose um gods and goddesses to right. have this out with and uh and that was a perfectly Steven Spielberg choice <laughs> sure right. Let It Ride is that same year, right? Which is, it's a, the Joe Pitka movie, a s smaller film, right? I think you filmed it all at the Hialeah Racetrack, right? Down in Florida, yeah. which but, I think is no longer there. Am I right about that? It, I, I have heard that it's gone, but I hope that I'm wrong. Yeah, because, it's a lovely location. Right? I mean, that movie- It's got character. Ordinary. <laughs> yeah. What a- what a weird, great kind of great movie that is. That, what's your What's your thought on Let It Ride, Richard? I mean that that's that's uh, a recommend on my. Anyone who comes up to me and says that they like Let It Ride, I immediately say, "And you're a degenerate game." <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting um, piece of subject matter in that regard because I think there there tend to be. Some movies, particularly I think around the 80s and 90s, that had degenerate gambler characters and there's like a little bit of a sexiness or a coolness to them that that kind of uh, maybe not so subtly glorifies the thing a little bit. And what I liked a lot about Let It Ride is that it, there are certainly, you know, 
some broader comedic, slightly more zany cartoonish elements in, in some spots. But generally speaking, it does. I, you know, not that I spend a ton of time around degenerate gamblers or anything, <laughs> but it does feel like it captures a really true spirit of a thing that is at the same time wholesome and deeply sad. Like, and I suppose, again, that goes back to your your penchant for holding two things to be true at the same time. You, uh, It's worth noting you in that movie reunited with Terry Garr, who you, oh, yeah. you, who you co-starred with in Close Encounters. Close Encounters, of course. Was that, uh, do you have any memories of that sort of reunion? Um, or, yeah, or- it cost me a thousand dollars. I, I, I quoted Shakespeare at one point, and uh, she said, you're quoting it wrong. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. And we, and I bet her a thousand bucks that I was right. You're, in, I, char- you're in character. You're in character. No. <laughs> I was, I happened to be one of those. I had been uh, doing sonnets of Shakespeare under Terry Garr's window when I was <laughs> 17 years old there you go oh um so she won that particular (laughs) bet but she was shocked beyond belief that i actually paid her oh good for you that's good you know you're not you don't welch you're not a welcher no i'm not a welcher um do you remember what the quote was by any chance i'm just curious sure it was it was um the structure of the poem of the sonnet um, let me admit to the, to the marriage of true minds. Let me not admit to the marriage of true minds, impediments, something like that. Nice. And yeah, so I saw it. I got the, the beginning of the poem wrong, <laughs> and it ends with, it's about the loss of love and the gaining of love. And at right. one point, the the writer says, "If this if this be false, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved." Then I got right. <laughs> there you go. And it was it was a wonderful Shakespearean way of saying nothing is more important or more powerful than love. Sure. Thing. And I, I liked it. I loved it for that reason, but I did screw up the first couple of lines. Terry, and she, so she knew it. She called she got it. Yeah, I think she that I think the name of that sonnet was Shakespeare's Thousand Dollar Sonnet. I think is was yeah. the name. Of yeah, that. yeah. Um, with Look at it, you, Connor. Yeah, oh, I think job. so. The um, with that one, you, uh, so you were. I believe your director on that one was a first time director. He had primarily worked. Um, yeah, Joe yeah, Pickett was in, a commercial music just, video director. I'm just curious, you know, you go from always to that. I know, you know, I'm not sure what order you shot those movies in, but you go from always to that. Was that, you know, do you find yourself operating or behaving differently with a Steven Spielberg than you do with a Joe Pitka? Or, I mean, you worked with so many different directors. I'm sure there's like some sort of awareness of uh, that. I didn't uh, operate differently with Stephen and with Joe, uh, then I deserve to go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen is an accomplished director in many ways, the most accomplished. Sure. And Joe is 
someone who wants to bully you into thinking that he's the best. I see. He's a bully. Right. Too bad. Yeah, he ended up not... He only made one other movie, and then I think he kind of went back to perhaps more of a... A shorter form. Yeah, he know. had an animated. He, he did one of those animated sports things. Yes, but he was also a, a, a six foot six, and he looked like a Polish miner. Night <laughs> gets drunk and joins a pogrom and kills Jews. So uh, Joe was not uh, my cup of tea. Sure. <laughs> Well, you know what though, I gotta say, it speaks to, it speaks to, and it's interesting because you know obviously Sidney Lumet is, you know, Night Falls on Manhattan, so obviously, um, certainly an interesting director in his own right, very accomplished. But but just to the point of Let It Ride, watching it all these years later, I do think it speaks to kind of the energy that you're bringing to it, that Terry Gar is bringing to it, that you know young Robbie Coltrane, who's the ticket seller. It, it does work, right? I think, obviously, I think the movie, perhaps it came and went when it came out. Okay. But it is not unlike always a movie that in its way has lived this afterlife of like, I do think it does, like, like Connor said, it does tap into an interesting mindset of like the community of the community of gamblers, the, the gambler's mindset where like this guy's basically having the luckiest day of his life and he almost can't like it takes him almost the whole movie to be convinced he's not a loser right because like that's how they that's how the the mind operates right and and i think it's a fascinating and there's like some sort of nirvana that he perhaps approaches um as he begins to believe right and i think um that is really interesting right so even with the you know, whatever directorially and all that, I think it does speak to kind of art surviving to some degree. If that, if I can be so sure. bold, yeah. I don't think I could tell you what um, aspect of the story or the character um, caused anyone to think that Joe would contribute a specific mm. gift to the to the film. Right. Uh, he didn't, and he. And he made one, uh, he made an error that uh, I find astounding. And that is that he has a tendency as someone who is that big to either take his opponent in the basketball game at noon and pick him up and throw him into a waste paper basket. (laughs) That's one thing he would do. And the other thing is, that he would pick up the camera and shoot from his lap. Oh, I see. Hmm. And what that did was it destroyed the eyeline. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. One of the reasons why you don't think that's the greatest film ever made as a comedy is because all of the eyelines are totally screwed. Oh, that's interesting. It gives you the reason not to be laughing. Sure. When you're thinking there's something... Because it distracts you, you're saying. Yeah. And it's that. Uh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Honestly, after we wrap up, I might have to sit down I and know, like, we have re- to just scroll through and take a look. The, with that in Let me mind. tell you something. Yeah. When you do that, whatever decision you come to, whatever 
opinion you come to about mm -hmm. this, call me. Because I, I've never talked about this to anyone, and I want to know, is it? did it bother anyone else? When it was pointed out, did it bother other people? I think it unconsciously bothers everybody. That, that, may, be, that may be true, because I think you're onto something there. Like, I, I had never seen the movie, and, and in prepping for this, I watched it for the first time. And I did really like it, and I think the comedy works, but I think... What you're speaking to is like, yeah, maybe it's supposed to be a little bit punchier of a comedy as opposed to something a little bit drier, a little like because to yeah. me, it, it struck me as something like a little bit drier, a little bit darker. Right. Like something that I like I mentioned was both kind of like funny and sweet and sad at the well, same Connor, time. We're, you know? We were I mean, we were just, uh, you know, we were just talking about a more recent movie from last year and and it was well liked but i remember i said to you i was like it felt oftentimes like the camera was in the wrong place yeah mm -hmm. and and that for this for that movie this more recent movie that did that kept me at an arm's length so yeah. to, so so what you're saying is certainly and i think from a craftsman's craftsmanship point of view as that's well noted because i think that stuff doesn't often get talked about enough where it's like you know, we talk about the actors, we talk about the performances, the writing, the directing, as much as you can talk about that. But in truth, right, most of a director's job, you know, and, and, a, and a DP's job is to put the camera in the right place, right? And I think if you don't do that, um, whether or not the audience knows, you know, it, it will affect, you know, and like someone's like someone like Steven Spielberg obviously doesn't have that problem, right? <laughs> it's often, yeah. you know, and, that's and not... What, what Joe had was... Uh... Joe had me, right. which meant that I was aware of this thing because I was in every scene, and it was built. It was building in me, and uh, it's not something that you would normally object to or think about. Sure, and right. He he forced me to think about it, right. and what you just said about feeling free to laugh. Mm. That's that's there's constantly an obstacle to your laughter in this film. It it makes you think, yeah, why aren't I laughing more? Right, right. And you don't even know that it's because the eyeline does not work. Huh. Aware of something odd. And it's boy, is it too bad. Now can I can I use this as a segue just because this is in, is actually interesting that we're talking about this because Sidney Lumet right who directed Night Falls on Manhattan starring Andy Garcia yourself kind of a rip from the headlines narrative um, at the time you know uh, movie came out in ninety seven um, Larry da the Larry Davis case from the eighties is kind of an inspiration in some respects uh, especially in the opening of the film. Now, the thing with Lumet, which is one of my favorite things about Lumet and any director, frankly, is he shot a lot of his scenes in Masters, right? Which for those listening means like, you know, Sidney Lumet came from the theater and obviously, Richard, please feel free to correct me on any of this from your experience on the film. But, you know, Lumet, as I understand it from reading his book and watching his films, he was, you know, came from the theater and he often would shoot his films, not unlike Woody Allen and whatnot, in there wasn't coverage a lot of the time. So he'd shoot, he'd find his angle on a wider lens, a wider frame rather, rather, and he would just shoot it all the way through. What was your, I guess, what was your, you have some amazing scenes with Andy Garcia in that film. Yeah. Um, uh, does that type, did that type of 
camera decision work for you in that respect? If you can remember oh, the from thing that. that didn't, the thing that didn't work for me was um, at a certain point, I think, in Sydney's life or career, he, he was known as probably the most efficient shooter in the world. That he could right. make a film with, if you took, if you took uh, a million dollars out of the budget and ten days out of the schedule, he could still shoot a great film. Right. And after working with him, I thought, Sidney Lumet will make a great film if you give him a great script. He cannot make a great film out of a bad script. I see. And he wrote and, he wrote Night Falls in Manhattan, I believe. Well, right? I don't know whether he wrote it, but it was based on something. Mm. And, it was based on a book, yeah, and it needed it needed attention, mm. right? What he did was he really loved the idea that he could shoot in one take, one take. Well, the problem with that is there's not an actor on earth who can't improve his his uh, his performance mm. from one take to another. And if he had said, I'll only repeat uh, uh, a take if I, if I can really see that he can achieve X, okay. But Sidney sometimes would let um, a take stand on its own, uh, performed by someone who did not show that he had that he understood enough and I'm not yelling at the actor I'm yelling at Sydney right yeah I, I thought that um, Sydney made early decisions and made them prematurely and when he had an actor who wasn't an actor and he had to break down on the set on the witness uh, chair he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a chance in hell. Mm -hmm. Right. Nectar didn't have a chance to get there. And he printed the first take. And I went up to Sydney and I said, Sydney, I'm telling you, if you gave this guy another take, he'd be better. He'd just be better. Mm. Right. And, nope. And moved. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that, and just for context for the listener. Obviously, Night Falls on Manhattan. I mean, Sydney had Lumet had made. I mean, how many? I mean, you know what? Forty movies, right? So, certainly, he you can understand him being set in his ways, perhaps to a detriment in that respect. Um, just in how he kind of approached that. That's interesting. Yeah, going into that project, what, was it working with Sydney that drew you to that? Like, um... yeah, my the irony of the whole thing is that. I had uh, I had turned down a project of his, and it was the one with Judd Hirsch, um, running on empty. Yeah, yeah. And I I turned it down, and uh, and he was insulted, mm. and I was sorry about that because I had no intention of insulting Sidney Lumet. I mean, he's a great filmmaker, but when I took this. I think he he thought there was some hidden agenda going on, mm. and I found that decisions about blocking or, for instance, he, uh, 
as as the defense attorney in real life you're not allowed to leave the area around your desk mm-hmm. right you, you don't walk up to the to the uh, witness stand and lean on the witness stand and talk to him like that i didn't know that so i i i listened you know I didn't move away from my desk, but when I, in in rehearsal, I did. Mm. He said, "Don't do that." And I was totally like at sea. I didn't know why I was being told that because in every movie you've ever watched, right? I know you were you were trying to Perry Mason it. You know, you were trying to. (laughs) You know, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, (laughs) but I I just uh, it was oil and water. Sure, Mm. which I think that's that's also maybe an under. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? I think look, you're you're someone who has been doing it for a long time. He's been you had not you hadn't worked together, right? You said you turned out running on empty. That was the that was the one time. So yeah, I mean I think that sometimes happens too, where it's obviously yeah, just two different ways of doing it. I think, yeah, he probably should have explained, you know, not just told you <laughs> not to do it. That sounds Yeah. And I uh, I have to say that, you know, I went through a period of uh Making of being proud that I I made the decisions for my life I sure. made, and oftentimes those decisions were wrong. <laughs> I did not uh, help myself when I made such a decision, and so I got a reputation of being too hard to work with. Uh, hmm. And. Uh, it wasn't that I was hard to work with. It's that I would insist that I be allowed to give my opinion. Sure. And uh, I was working with a director once who shall go nameless. And I said, you know, there's an element in, in the script that has this re- repetitive. And he goes, and he said, no. Oh. And I said, what? He said, "No, I don't. I don't want your opinion." And I said, <laughs> "And I said, you know, I haven't been told no like that since I was sixteen years old." And at the time, I was sixty. And I said, "I said okay." And I, I remember going back to my trailer, and realizing I had a problem here, because I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. I'm. I'm not a person who looks for confrontation. Sure. I certainly did have that rep. That's interesting. And you yeah. think it was just because you were very, yeah, you were made your own choices and wanted it. Yeah. Be I would insist. I never insist. Right. My, but I wanted at least to express it. Interesting. Yeah. And I think I got uh, kicked in the shins a bunch of times. I certainly did develop a wrong rep sure hmm. are, is there now let me just because uh, you know in that in the b-side respect are there any films that jump out at you that are films that you love that that you were part of that that maybe you wish had been a big hit or, or or even if they were successful that are perhaps like like for example we were saying like duddy kravitz the apprentice the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz was a big moment for you in your career and did well i think all these years later 
I wish more people knew about it. I think it maybe has not lived on as much as obviously the Jawses or the American Graffitis for obvious reasons, I suppose. But is there anything like that that you can just point to just for people listening of like, um, you know, I, I, I love this one that you maybe don't know about? Yeah, there's a bunch. Um, uh, Moon Over Parador. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And there were films that I that we made that never had a chance. I don't know why. For instance, uh, Tin Men was... Love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a wonderful film. And there's I have yeah. no criticism of Barry Levinson. I have no, no nothing. I thought it was a wonderful movie. But some for some reason it's 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 invisible. Yeah, it's funny because Tin Men is like the th- is it's part of his Baltimore trilogy, um, the Avalon Tin Men, and but Diner is the one that kind of right you know has lived on, I suppose. And it's interesting because he even made a fourth movie called Liberty Heights in the late nineties. Which is quite fantastic as well, and all all of those films are are quite lovely. And yeah, Tin Men is a great recommendation. That's a, that's a that's a that's a great movie. Is that is aluminum siding? Is that what, what do you guys say? Do you remember what you're selling like yeah. right for houses? Yeah, yeah. And you know that that's what Lenny Bruce was selling. I did not know that. That's great. Lenny Bruce and Rodney Dangerfield were partners selling <laughs> aluminum siding, and. One can just imagine what that <laughs> right, right seriously moment in Tin Men, which is it, it wasn't meant to be an homage, but uh, my partner is telling some outlandish lie to this lady, and I was starting to crack up, <laughs> and I I grabbed my lower lip. Like that, <laughs> and I just, I just grabbed it, and so because I'm supposed to remain in the scene, and so I just held it because if I hadn't, I would have laughed. Right, <laughs> grabbed my lower lip. It didn't make any sense, but that was doing Rodney Dangerfield. That's so great. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Look, Richard, we don't want to keep you for too long. Thank you so much. This has been great to kind of go through some of these things and, and kind of highlight some, some some of the moments in your career. We want to remind people, obviously, Sweetwater, as you're listening in theaters now, a movie about an important topic, uh, Sweetwater Clifton, like we mentioned. You, you, you're you in some of the strongest scenes in the film, and um, you and Carrie Elwes have a great back and forth uh, yeah. at, in a few different moments. And that's that was exciting for me, just... It was a lot of fun to work with. A lot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You can tell. I mean, I don't, I don't want to presume, but you can really tell there's an energy in those scenes that you guys share that that's that that come that pops off the screen. So thank you for for, for speaking with us. Um congrats on the new movie. Congrats on the on 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 a great career and many more to come and uh and have a good rest of your day. Thanks a lot. Thanks, All Richard. Right. And there you have it. Um, All right, folks. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, I I can imagine his disappointment with something like the Sidney Lumet situation. You know, sure, like like, sure. and I think the way he d- described that was fascinating to me. Just this thing of like, well, and it's funny that he mentions turning down running on empty because yeah. I we didn't we didn't get into it because obviously we were kind of in a different zone and I didn't want to belabor anything at that point. But you know, running on empty 
is like one of my favorite movies. Like, and Judd Hirsch in Running on Empty. Yeah. I mean, people think he's good in The Fablements. Yo, you don't even yeah. know, yeah. bro. You, you see Hirsch in Ordinary People and or Running on Empty, uh, bookending the 80s like yeah. that. I mean, I, I mean, you know, and obviously Hirsch, you know, Taxi, you know, a lot of people obviously know him from Independence Day, of course, right? He's been a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, and, you know, he got the Oscar nom, obviously, for the for the Fableman's well-deserved. But, like, my God. And so just to even think of Dreyfus in that role, I think it would have been great. I'm not – I don't want to take anything away from, from Dreyfus, of course, because he's great. But so different. So different. And what's I, fascinating is he that would have been a that would have been a reunion with Christine Lottie, who's the wife. Right, right. If the casting had held, yeah. you know, you know, obviously Lottie's in uh, whose life have, is it anyway? They do have great chemistry yeah. too in uh in uh whose life, life is it whose life. Anyway. Yeah. But um but no, I mean it's interesting. I think what's cool about talking to a guy like Richard Dreyfus is and I think he's always I think at least in his last couple decades, he's always been more like this where he's been very honest and i think he gets very honest about his own career and his own choices which is i think is great and very fascinating and engaging and then yeah just talking about lumet in that way of like yeah maybe this guy kind of thought his style and his you know efficiency was you know, the only way to do it. Cause I think he's referencing, right. When he's talking about those court scenes, I believe he's referencing the actor who played the Jordan Washington character. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah, on the yeah. stand. And yeah. certainly if you've seen night falls on Manhattan, where that character basically gets goaded into trying to beat the crap out of Annie Garcia. And that's how they basically lose the case. Yeah. It's not a, well, as much as I like night falls on Manhattan, it's a very awkwardly edited scene. Yeah, it took me by surprise, but not because he had a an outburst. It was kind of it almost felt like it's jarring. Yeah, it felt out of nowhere. It's yeah, it's as jarring opposed to like and, a boiling thing, you know. And um, it's funny because when Dreyfus mentions the coverage and maybe they should have done another take, um, you know, you you know, look, you take all these things with grains of salt, whoever you're talking to, because everybody has their own version of things. Obviously, that being said, when he said that. I was I did think back to the scene and was like, you know, I wonder if Lumet got in the editing room and was like, ah, like in his heart of yeah, hearts yeah, was like right, Richard right. was right, you know. Or we'll was, have to perform a seance and get Sydney's get, side, get, side get, of things. Get Sid's um, get Sid's side. No, and even um, even the just his, you know, his kind of his mention uh which I think was one of the more interesting thing he, things he talked about is mention of like, the, you know, the camera placement and let it ride or lack of camera placement. Right. The eye line and let it ride. Yeah, like, fascinating. And the fact that like, like I said, like I really enjoy that movie and I do think it's very funny in a certain way, but did not even stop to consider that it was supposed to be funny in a completely different way. And just, you so, know, yeah. yeah. And I think, um, honestly, those, observations which all are all him right i mean we're mm. not prompting any of that right i mean we're we're kind of you know you know if he's willing to talk at length about these things and thankfully he was you know that's where the conversation goes right and sure. i think to me though that's why you do the podcast because it's like who would ever think about that and no then, like, I, I didn't even i wouldn't but have i mean but twice. i mean yeah, but my point is like 
what is the point of this podcast if not to like get, <laughs> get to that. hear that? Yeah, because of it's like, of course, you know, how many people have seen Let It Ride? Not many. Okay, yeah. but it's a B side, so we cover it, and it's interesting to us, and that's why we cover it because we can do that, and it's our podcast. And then it's like you talk to the guy who starred in the movie, and he's like, "Yeah, the eye line was weird because he put the camera in the wrong place," and you're like, "Holy shit! Like <laughs> that is interesting." And it's like who, you know, it's like. And just even like educationally, like yeah, I, hate, no, I, guess, I, I feel I like guess I, I feel like I always go back to the film school person in me. But it's like no, that's how, that's exactly how I felt. Where it was like, oh yeah, you wow. could teach like, that. Yeah, right? you, you could, could be like Richard Dreyfus said the eyeline was and wrong. Look, like, what do you think? I right? think it's like, you know, I think in a in a world where I think in a world where people see this as a truly collaborative medium, and it it seems like a very storied performer like Richard Dreyfus seems invaluable because. You know, maybe it doesn't hurt to have someone who is aware of those things, right? Of course. Um, yeah, of course. But, and I think, you know, he tells a few stories. Um, obviously, you've just listened to it. But, I mean, I think there's always a yin, yin and a yang, depending on the set you're on and the people you're working with, about how collaborative things can get. And I think, yeah. um, I think when you lack openness and, uh, you know, open dialogue on, you know, in that working form – you know, it will cause strain no matter what. And I think he talks pretty openly about that. And I think that's interesting. And I just, you know, to me, it's like, I was not expecting this episode to be so much about form yeah, and like sure, sure. And application. And I think that's one of the many kind of lovely surprises of doing shows like this when you can talk to someone who is there. Right. And I think that's that alone is interesting Definitely. and even even made more interesting you know space jam jokes aside by like joe picka like didn't direct movies anymore he's you yeah know, he's made like it's he's made of... like two documentaries and two feature films and he and he's i think god it, knows he might still be directing commercial i don't know but, but it is illuminating a little it's bit a, right? it's yes. illuminating you know, that's you're, exactly you're, you're, the right you're word. like you're like oh I it's knew illuminating that, i knew that about joe picka and, and now I now that okay, makes sense yeah, sure, right sure. when the lead of his first movie says what he says you're like oh okay well yeah yeah I mean, now that you say that, yeah. like, I could understand being on a, even a far more complicated set, you know, because Let It Ride, they're just filming at the Hialeah Racetrack. It's not that, you know, it's like, yeah. com I mean, not it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's Absolutely. complicated because there's a lot of extras and stuff, but it's like you're in one location. Space yeah. Jam, it's like, you know. It's like you're in early no, special you're in no effects, location, right? It's your Mike, yeah. a non-actor, yeah. you know, acting like proto tennis ball shit, even probably before that. Who's got to like, go? A non-actor who's got to go like practice on lunch yeah, breaks. Who made them like, build a court, yeah, like, you know, in Warner, you know, all yeah, the stories of yeah. that. And like, you know, I think um, it's funny that that was the next movie and that then it was, you know, it was all done. Um, uh, but, uh, I always think, um, I will say, and then uh, I know we're wrapping up. I always love, and I'm going to get the line wrong, when Bill Murray shows up in the first Face Jam and they're like, Bill, like, how are you here? And he's like, oh, I know the executive producer. He was, you know, I owe him a favor. And <laughs> yeah. like, it just, he just fully breaks the whole thing. I love, that's like probably my favorite part of that, <laughs> of that not so I great know, movie. The thing that, I, that, that, that. Or the, the divot or the, the divot. divot. The divot. He's fixing a divot. He's fixing a divot. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's actually, that that's, that's number one, actually. That's um, number one. Number, <laughs> number two is the Bill Murray cabin. That's Wayne Knight digging a hole where Michael yeah. got sucked into. Yeah. What are you doing? He's fixing it. He's fixing it. Yeah. Classic. Uh, um, classic. 
Anyway. Yeah, I guess, Dan, any, I mean, we kind of had mentioned. Yeah, so Dreyfus, I, I, I mean, God, he's made so, he's made so many Anything movies. else you want to spot check? Oh, man. I mean, Tin Men, I mentioned before, great movie. Um, you know, he does, he does the bottle, the bottle scenes in Stand By Me, which is obviously, you know, an important movie, I think, for a lot of people that are our age, um, the Rob Reiner picture. Um, I think he's the adult, uh, not River Phoenix. He's the adult. He's the adult Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, River, I, I was River watching, Phoenix dies. I was, yeah, 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 yeah. Sadly, I was watching the um, the Goodbye Girl and the Big Fix, which came out in the late seventies. Each of them, both the Goodbye Girl, very a nice movie. I, I added. I mean, he won. His, I, I, I already yeah, he won his Oscar. won his Oscar. Yeah. I already added it to my nice movies list, which is on Letterboxd. Um, the Big Fish is his private uh, private eye movie. Big which Fix, is pretty fun. Big Fix, yeah. Yeah, what I say? Fish, big fish. <laughs> oh, the big fix uh, is his private eye movie. You know what's funny? One movie, and I cannot believe I didn't bring this up. Sure. And I'm like actually bummed. Yeah. If I'm being honest, is he's in a Barbara movie? Oh, he's in Nuts. Yeah. I can't believe. You and we've talked yeah. about Nuts. Yeah, yeah. And he's in Nuts with Babs. And when like, we get it's around a Babs, to our Barbara episode, we'll I talk know. about Nuts for sure. I just wish for one second. I wish we had like 30 more minutes because I would have brought up Nuts because that could have also been a B-side. Nuts. Oh, you wish you had 30 more minutes with one of the greatest actors I in know. all time? But uh, those are the ones, right? <laughs> nuts. Um, you know, like Stakeouts and A-side. That's a funny movie. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't really mention like Krippendorf's Tribe or... Um, right. He's great. Obviously, Mr. Holland's open. This is a lovely movie. He's great as the villain in The American President. Um, One movie that I would have loved to just bring up, but I just, I don't know that it would have had the courage. Sure. And you could probably guess what it would be, Connor. The Crew. Yeah. I, so that. Talk about a beast. Yeah, that that movie is kind of like burned into my brain a little bit because I feel like I remember like one of my older siblings renting it at the time. Um, I, you know, the one thing about The Big Fix that I would have liked to have talked about is just that he's i believe that is his first producer credit on a movie that he's in interesting and you know given the way he was speaking about wanting to offer an opinion and and you know be more collaborative on you know maybe certain things behind the camera i'd be curious to know kind of how he felt about uh that movie and what that experience was like because he he doesn't. He doesn't do it a ton. He's only credited as a, as a producer a couple of times. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of like Harrison Ford, where yeah. it's like you, when you hear them talk about the process, you think, "Oh, you could have been a great director, probably." Yeah, yeah. But they, but they never did, you know. Um, um, and just so I can tell you about the crew real quick: Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, Dan Hedaya, and Seymour Castle. And it's like an old folks' home, retired mobsters get back into the game movie it's which, kind of like a going and it's like the proto going it's in a style. going well no well no going in style what it's a remake going oh, in is style is it actually a direct remake no 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 you're you're referencing the zach braff picture yes, going in correct. style yeah is there was a movie an early martin breast movie called going in style Oh, I with, did not um, know that. Yeah, with um, I believe it's one of the only. It's with I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, yes, it's it's '79 oh. and it's George Burns. Oh hell yeah! Art Carney and okay. Lee Strasberg. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna watch that tonight. It's, it's an early Martin Brest. It's right before Beverly Hills Cop. Early Brest. And, 
and uh and uh midnight run yeah and then obviously uh the and then obviously leading up to his as we know already from if you've listened to the b-side his true masterpiece Mitchell black of course <laughs> um but anyway thanks for listening uh connor I'll, I'll pass to you to wrap it up obviously as always i'm at dj mech on twitter writing reviews for the film stage if you're listening i have a review out probably right now for guy Ritchie's the covenant which is a pretty good military movie starring uh jake gyllenhaal and dar salim and then um a couple other reviews on the horizon so look out for those um and uh hopefully an interview with jake gyllenhaal and dar salim i i have not done it yet but if you're listening, it's 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 probably days away from being published. All so right. enjoy that as well. And um, and yeah, Connor, over to you to wrap us up. Yeah. Um, no, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side, also Letterboxd as well. Uh, thanks, as usual, to Adam Blotner for our theme music. Uh, and Sweetwater, it's out. You can go see it. Richard Dreyfus is in it. He's pretty good in it. Um, so check that out. And yeah, thank you for listening. And thank you again to Mr. Richard Dreyfus. And now you're listening to the B-Side.